You know what that means? You know what that resurrection power means, friends? It means that no matter what's going on in your life, it's not too much for the resurrection power of God. It means that no matter what's going on in our world, it's not too much for the resurrection power of God, that there's no doubt in your life that is too big for God to resurrect belief from, that there is no disease, there is no diagnosis that has the last say, that there is no dead end that you're facing, that there is no distance that you may feel from God that is too much for his power and his love to be, over to, to be able to overcome because he overcame death. And he did that for you and he did that for me. And that's why we are here to celebrate that in the darkest of dark moments that he brings light and life. In Matthew 28, the darkest of moments that this world ever faced, it tells us that after the Sabbath at dawn, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid that they shook and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Well, he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. So come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you this. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. You know, when I think about what the women experienced in that moment next to the tomb, it was something pretty new. It was a new day that Jesus was starting in their lives. It was a new day that he was starting for our world. And today is a day that we get to celebrate something new, the new life that Jesus offers us through his resurrection power. And so I wanna welcome you, all of you here, whether you are new or newer, or you've been around Heartland for a while. If if you have, you may be looking up here and be like, who is this guy? Uh, My name is Brad, and Brad Hernan. And speaking of new, this week I began uh, my new journey as part of your team, your lead team of pastors who is here to walk with you. And I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you just how thrilled I am that my family and I get to be a part of the Heartland family as we journey and follow after Jesus together. Because we are in this together. And we want you to know, especially if you're here for the first time, we don't believe that we have everything figured out. We're trying. I certainly don't. But what we are committed to is that we want to help one another along the way discover just how much Jesus loves us. And we make space for putting Jesus first because we believe that's what changes our lives. And when we live with him at at the forefront, it changes our world. And we would love to welcome you into what God is doing around here. So if you're watching online with us from your living room or wherever we may find you out in the beautiful weather on your patio, a welcome. Can we give it up for all the people who are watching online? Thanks for joining us. 
We'd love to hear from you. Drop a hello in the chat there. Let us know that you're out there, where you're watching from, and all of us here, we'd love to encourage you to take a step just to learn a little bit more about Heartland and what God's doing here and how he can be more a part of your life. So swing by the hub, uh, follow us online, jump on our website, see about some things that are coming, reach out to us. We would love to meet you. Uh, also, speaking of new, next weekend, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series. I'm so thrilled that I get to kick off a new series with you because I know that there are times in our lives where we aren't where where we were, thank God, but we aren't yet where we thought we would be. And we're on the way to something, but sometimes that season winds up being a lot longer and a lot wilder than we ever thought it would be. And a lot of time in the Bible spent time in that season too. So next week, we're going to be looking at some people in Scripture who spent time in that season, the journey between where they were and where they thought they would be, where they thought God would have them. And how do they live between those two places? And so come here next week. Bring a friend with you as we, un- as we explore this together and see how God wants to use that unique season, that challenging and difficult season, to do something special in your life. And so, but today, uh, we get to hear from my new friend, our pastor of family movements, uh, Shabu Matthew. And so would you give it up from him as he shares the message for us this morning? Thanks, B. Oh, yeah. Good job. People I paid, that worked out. I only paid five of you, though, so don't. Hey, good morning. Have a question for you. Need some help from the kids in the room. What's your favorite kids' book? Okay, and I'm not talking like book. I'm talking like board book, you know, the things that are 10 pages, the simple, simple books. I'm going to tell you about some of my favorite ones here in just a moment. Uh, but, uh, uh, but first, Happy Easter. So glad you're here. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's not more money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Favorite board book? Is there a brave kid out there that would tell me their favorite board book that they remember from their childhood even? Yeah, right there. Yeah, go for it. Frosty the Snowman. There's a board book. And uh, Jonathan, next to you, is there another? It's okay. We're working on it. They're, they're clunky titles. They're, you know, yeah. uh, well, some of ours around the Matthew household are, um, guess how much I love you? You know, little nut brown hair, big nut brown hair. The last page is a uh, little nut brown hair being put to bed by big nut brown hair. And the daddy, uh, after the little nut brown hair is asleep, the, the daddy says, I love you to the moon and back, you know. So these great lines from uh, these board books. They're small in stature, but they are big in, in meaning. Uh, another one, heartwarming but strange, is, uh, is the one with the, the mother who wants to go into her child's room and tell that child that, uh, uh, I love you forever. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she does it every decade of his life. <laughs> it's a, there's a ladder on top of a station wagon at some point in this board book. And you're like, to such great lengths, a person will go. I, I commend you. It's good, but it's a little weird. Uh, our favorite, Runaway Bunny. I know it's a kind of a throwback because the art's kind of abstract-ish and kind of weird, but Runaway Bunny is the story of this parent bunny, mama bunny, and a, and a baby bunny, and the baby bunny just wants to run away and wants to be a mountain climber or a, a flower in the garden and the uh, you have to find the bunny on every page, so it's kind of a fun, a fun book in that regard. But these books, they get old for us, those adults in the room, but they, they don't get old for kids. They just, do it again, read it again. It's, like, it's only 10 pages. I think I can do that, but I don't want to do that, you know. Uh, the do it again factor for kids is sky high. I think that's important. 
because God is childlike. And he, every morning, as G.K. Chesterton writes, he commands the sun to, to rise again. And he doesn't get bored with that. <laughs> well, uh, I have to get creative with Runaway Bunny. Uh, and so I put the book down and I say to my daughter, my three-year-old Adeline, I say, how much does daddy love you? This much? And she says, no. <laughs> this much? No. We say together, this much? No. Does daddy love you this much? And there's, there's a lot of muches, all right? There's seven or eight or nine muches in, in this, uh, this activity that we do. And eventually, daddy love you this much? And she says, yeah. And I said, no, no. And I go beyond flexion, you know, just kind of back here. This much. That's how much daddy loves you. I think I pulled something. It's not, it's not a joke, but we'll make it. Okay. Uh, but that's how much God loves you. That's how much daddy loves you. It's fun. She does it with me. And then she says, do it again. You know, I, I think the reality though, when rubber, the rubber meets the road is that sometimes we feel loved this much. We don't feel this full-on love of God all the time. We feel it like this. And from others too, you know, loved by God this much, loved by others this much. You know, there's, there's moments where I feel that. Uh, and I think the moments when that happens is when, uh, when I don't get what I want, when my circumstances aren't what I'd like them to be, when someone hurts me, when I hurt someone I love. There's these moments, my attitude, my circumstances, they affect how loved I feel sometimes. Maybe it's dealing with a diagnosis that you don't have answers to and you feel like, how could a good God that loves me this much allow this feeling to happen, this circumstance to happen because now I feel loved this much. Might be a single parent out there doing two times the work and feeling loved this much. Maybe you're a high school student out there and you don't even just feel like loved this much but you feel not the absence of love but the presence of hate. Like there are people who you counted on as friends and they are your enemies now. And it's just, it's, it's this much how loved you feel in the world today. Well, we come to uh, these two women, Mary and Mary. Neither of them the mother of Jesus. One is Mary Magdalene. The other is Mary, the mother of James. In the story that we've heard once already, but I want to dive into it again. Because I think these two Marys have a this much moment going on. Their leader, their savior, the son of God, Jesus, they have watched get battered and he's bruised and bloodied on the cross. And they are asking, how could a God that loves us this much allow his son to experience that? And so in turn, we feel like we're loved little. I'm just imagining their experience. And here's what happens on Friday when Jesus died in Matthew 27. It says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, a man named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Mary and Mary sitting there watching. They can't pull themselves away from this scene. A lot of Jesus' disciples have scattered for fear of uh, persecution and, and all sorts of, of things. But these two, amongst a few others, have stayed to the bitter end until he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last on the cross. 
And they watched him lowered from the cross and wrapped and transported to this tomb. And they have this, uh, it is finished feeling of their own, right? It's like Jesus meant it is finished. The work of the cross, the work of my life, it is finished. I have accomplished everything I set out to do. It is finished. But for Mary and Mary and the, the disciples, it probably felt like they were finished. Like this movement that we were leading that Jesus had given us women roles in leading his movement, like that that was finished. And so they have this moment and, and that's Friday and the, the body and the burial all has to be done before sundown on Friday because at Friday sundown, the Jewish Sabbath began and there was no work after sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, a 24 hour period of rest. And so there's this rush, there's this uh, haste to figure out like how, is, how do we do this and not break any more rules and honor the Sabbath. And, and that's where we pick up in Matthew 28. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. That phrase, they just went to look at the tomb. They, they had to be there, you know. And this Sabbath was like a, a loaded one for them. It was not like any Sabbath prior this Saturday. It was a a 24-hour period of reflection, not the good kind. You don't want to reflect on what you saw Friday, but they were forced into this space of, like, oh, we're here. We're not allowed to do anything else except rest, connect with God, which is really hard to do right now, and connect with each other, which is easier or hard depending on the person. And this weekly Sabbath came and went, but this one was, was a really unique one because I don't think they slept much Friday night. Having those images seared in their minds, I don't think they slept much Saturday night. And I think dawn comes long, but dawn, when it finally comes, they're like, we have to go back to the last place he was. We have to go back to the tomb. That's where we saw him. We have to go back there. And, and, and like you would visit the graveside of a family member or friend, they, they just have to be as close as they can be on Sunday morning goes on to say in verse two, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. As if Friday's earthquake events hadn't upended their personal lives, their leader was dead and now their society had gone through this massive upheaval. People hate each other. Disciples are fleeing for their lives and now as the dust clears, they see a non-human being sitting on the stone and the stone is not in front of the tomb anymore. They know it's a non-human being because what verse three says, his appearance, the angel was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards who were guarding the tomb were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Everything is shaking. This earthquake causes Mary and Mary to grab one another because that's sometimes the only stable thing in an earthquake is the person nearest to you. The guards are shaking. The ground is shaking. The guards are now frozen. It's this catatonic-like state where they're there, but they're not dead, but they are like dead men is what the scriptures say. And it's this moment where the angel starts to speak. And this is like crime scene slash heavenly encounter because there is a body that is missing, but there is clearly like something that God is doing in this moment on this Sunday morning. The angel said to the woman, to the women, 
do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And that word is a trigger word for them. They remember the moments. They remember what happened Friday. And the angel goes on and says, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he said. You kind of picture this angel saying, look inside. There's nothing there. At this point, Mary and Mary start to remember, Jesus said some crypto things. Like, I would die and I would be raised back to life. The son of God would, would die and be raised back to life. And starting to remember the angel is just telling them things that they've heard before. And they peek into the tomb and the, the angel says, after you look in, here's what I want you to do. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, quickly. Tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. It's like uh, there's uh, characters in a, in a drama and the angel has a part and he has done his part and said, now I have told you what to do. And this is really helpful, like next steps for Mary and Mary, because I don't know about you, but in, in times of stress and chaos and trauma, your emotional brain starts to flood, you know, this is what we know about our brains. There's a thinking brain and an emotional brain and a thinking brain doesn't do great things when the emotional brain is flooded. And so thankfully, these two women, Mary and Mary, get given a really concrete assignment. Here's what I want you to do. Quickly, you need to leave. You need to leave and you need to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. And I'm thankful for this if I'm one of those two Marys, thankful that I have something to do because I can't sort what's fact and fiction and what's my own supernatural experience or an actual supernatural experience. I, I don't know where to file the events of this day. And the angel says, just go and tell the disciples. They become the first evangelists. Two women become the first people to carry the good news of Jesus to other people. The good news that Jesus is alive. It reminds me of these moments when I'm sitting in my rocker in my daughter's room and we're doing the this much. This much? No. This much? No. And when we get out to here, and this is the moment that that is the, the full measure of my love for her, but it's, it's more importantly the full measure of God's love for you and I. And so you just know Friday represents this, God sending his perfect son to stand in the place of imperfect people. And at this moment, the enemy is like all over it. Satan thinks that like, this is, this is my end game. This moment right here, Jesus on the cross, the perfect son of God, without blemish or wrinkle, on the cross, nailed there, hands and feet, end game, I win. And then he's taken down from the cross. And in this moment, we see that Satan's end game gets flipped and that God has an end game greater and bigger than Satan's. Here's what happens. The angel says, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. It's the moment. So there's a moment where they fall down to Jesus' feet, and they are worshiping him, and they're saying, Jesus, you're alive. 
this is incredible, Jesus, you're alive. And then they start to connect the dots that what this means is that death no longer has power. And that death is not the final word in the human experience anymore because Jesus, the perfect one who stood where none of us could stand, was raised back to life. And they have this, we, we have to go and tell tell the others and they hang on to Jesus for as long as they can and here's here's what I love is that the moments with my daughter in our in her bedroom are about my words yeah they're about more than that though it's about who is saying the words it's her dad saying I love you this much and then at the end there's this moment where I collapse my arms around her and I give her a big hug and kiss and that's the moment that's actually not possible without resurrection. For Jesus to be embraced, I picture the women falling down at Jesus' feet and just saying, Jesus, you're alive. And then they rise and in my imagination, there is a big hug. And that hug is not possible without Jesus coming back to life. Jesus is good sentiment, a brilliant moral teacher, all that stuff, somehow dazzled with miracles. But all that stuff, is more than legend because of this moment where he says, greetings, I'm alive. He gives them instructions. He keeps them on mission. I love this, that uh, the angel has given Mary and Mary instructions and then Jesus has suddenly stopped them and then he just says, you, you have a task. You have something to go do. You have other people to go tell that I am alive and I will see them too. I will come to them at a time in the future, but right now you just need to go. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where there they will see me. It's like uh, actors in an incredible drama that have taken up their role and executed it fully the angel Mary and Mary now back on mission to tell the rest of Jesus' disciples that he's alive. And then those disciples carry, they step into the, into the story and they carry that message on to others. And then a couple thousand years later, you and I are sitting in a green box. Me telling you, you telling one another, us telling the world, he did this. And then he did this. He died for you. And then he defeated that very death and embraces us. And then it's not a forever embrace. It's a, I love you. You're sent for something. You need to go and tell others. So for you, you may be the one who feel, feels loved little because of a circumstance or situation or your own attitude feels loved little. I want you to know and experience today. We want you to know and experience today that God loves you this much. And he defeats death so that that embrace could be made fully known and you could feel that fully. Some of us are thinking of other people right now that we know feel loved this much and that we're called to. It could be a spouse, a family member, a neighbor, I don't know, a friend in a different city that just feels loved this much and you and I get to be the ones that wrap our arms around them and say, God loves you this much, and so do I. We have a couple really practical ways for you to do this. Concrete steps help 
Mary and Mary move from point A to point B in their spiritual journey. They help us too. Uh, the journey devotional is a, is a daily reading of the scriptures. And that's just the most important way for us to know our part in God's story is reading God's story. Another way is a couple courses we have coming up that just help you understand your role in God's story. Uh, there are going to be Zoom offerings here in the spring, and we would love to have you jump into those if that's something that, that you're wondering, what's, who am I called to, and what's my role, and what's my role in God's big story? I want to pray for us just to wrap up our time. And as I pray, I want to uh, take you to my daughter's bedroom and just like imagine that moment of embrace. Because that's the moment of embrace that God wants to offer to, to you and I. To say, I defeated death so that this embrace could happen. Now go and be sent to the people I've called you to. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for my friends. I thank you that your defeat of the grave means that we can really be embraced by you. And so for every person in here who feels far from you, who feels loved a little. Holy Spirit, would you just come in and wreck, wreck them, wreck me, wreck us with your love. Help us to leave this place knowing that your resurrection means we can offer this hope to others, that no one is loved too little. No one has to stay there and that God, you want to wrap us up in your arms. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Shabu. You know, before we go, there's one more thing that we need to do because we come here to be reminded of everything that uh, Shabu told us all about. And we're going to declare that to one another because next week we're going to come back and that'll still be true, that there was an empty tomb and that God still loves you. And so almost as long as Easter has been celebrated uh, all over the world, all across the centuries, uh, there's been a tradition that's been happening. And it said on Easter morning, someone would, would come into the room where people were gathered to hear the story of the empty tomb. And they would, like the women in this story, would play that role and would say, he is risen, declare that reality to the people there. And then people would respond, he is risen indeed. And that's something that uh, has been a special part of Heartland's journey as well. And so we were gonna do that together. Is that all right, friends? All right, well, I wanna encourage you. Would you stand up? And the way we do this, we feel like this is not something we do just because it's what happens in churches. We don't wanna do this like a bunch of church people. That's not who we are. We want to do this because we really believe this, and we believe the power of this. And so if you're not, you don't quite believe this, I don't want to ask this of you. I don't want to make you do something uh, that you don't believe in or that, don't, that, or that, you, don't, yeah, that you, you don't believe in. But if you do, then this is a moment to announce that to yourself, to those in this room, and to those in our world that he has risen indeed. So I'll say he has risen, you say he has risen indeed, and we're just going to get loud. We're going to start loud, and we're going to get even louder by the time we get to the end. Okay, you got it? You know your instructions? All right, easy enough. Uh, all right, friends, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Absolutely. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Have a beautiful week. We'll see you next Sunday.